There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. This is Desiree for F1Weekly.com. I'm your in-depth correspondent. Let's go with the qualifying, Steve. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 978, February 6, 2023. Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say blue oval back in Formula One. Now we need BMW and Toyota to get on Baby Comeback program. And we have man from Munich in the palatial studios. We shall explain. Das gladly. Back to you, Chief. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Jean-Pierre Jabouille, gone at 80. Ford is back in town. Where is Honda going in 2026? McLaren? Aston Martin actually believe they're in the hunt. And we have more great interviews featuring BMW driver Neil Verhagen and more. Nasser will explain. And just a reminder, we need you to order your Motorsports Memories 2023 Formula One calendar cross town traffic. Just click on the F1 Weekly merchandise page. You know you want to. And I have a special message. Today begins a new era for F1Weekly.com. Starting with this week's edition of our podcast, we'll be available on Performance Motorsports Network. Our thanks to Bob Steele for making this happen. And, of course, they have a network of radio stations. So there you have it, Nass. Welcome to the radio world, and welcome back to F1Weekly.com studios. Nass, how you doing? I am doing very good, sir. Thank you. And I also would like to thank Mr. Bob Steele uh, for putting F1 Weekly on his network. And we definitely welcome all the new listeners to the F1 Weekly Familia. Lots of information, music, motorsports, interviews, and we would love their feedback. So, Mr. Rogers, are you happy with the Blue Oval back in Formula One? I am. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about the Blue Oval. And, of course, they're teaming up with Red Bull, and, and everybody's going, Ford can do it, but Porsche couldn't do it? Is there going to be a movie, Ford against Porsche? I don't know, but it's awesome. The question is, what are we talking about? Is it a Ford? Is it a Fronda? Is it going to be a rebadged Honda? Is Honda just bailing? But they signed up for an engine partnership for 2026. So I'm confused. When does Ford begin? When does Honda leave? Where does Honda go? Because Ford... And Mr. Farley, which we will hear from shortly, stated that this is not just Red Bull, but AlphaTauri as well. The complete enchilada. Yes, sir. That was the big news on Friday from Big Apple. Ford, the friendly folks who finance Cosworth DFV for $50,000, are coming back to Formula One as partner with Red Bull Powertrain after Dr. Marco and Christian Horner say sayonara to Honda. And looks like Honda will find a partner, could be McLaren, maybe come back once again, who knows. The Ford CEO, Mr. Jim Farley, was at the press conference and said they looked at different series and decided on Formula One, sorry IndyCars, based on the direction F1 is going and the global appeal of the sport. And who can argue with that? 
Well, I'm here with Jim Farley, Ford CEO, Mark Rushbrook, Ford Performance Motorsports boss. Gentlemen, a huge announcement and um, welcome back to Formula One. You're going to team up with Red Bull Racing starting in 2026. How in the world did you manage to keep this under wraps for as long as you did? Because it <laughs> seems like it came out of left field while Porsche couldn't keep a lid on any of that stuff when uh, it was talking about Red Bull. Well, we've been working on this for actually a couple of years. So not just this, but like, what is our new motorsport strategy? And we can go into that separately. But, you know, we have been working on for a while. And after two decades, I am excited. We're back in Formula One. I think the big story for us is that the way we're going to back into Formula One is innovative and a bit scrappy. For us to go on the powertrain side, we really want to have a strategic and technical partnership with Red Bull for that next generation of 26 motors and powertrains, which will use that really clean fuel. So we're kind of coming into the sport where the sport's going clean, but we have a lot to offer technically, like software and battery technology. And, and we'll learn a lot on aero, which we really need on our EV business. And, and we'll supply not only Red Bull, but also Alpha Terry. So uh, it's going to be a you know pretty big presence, but it's a much more technical, strategic partnership in our powertrain business together, not like the company doing everything. For auto manufacturers, there is no better option than Formula One for worldwide exposure. Ford coming back is great news for the sport and for American racing fans. The blue oval will be seen on Red Bull cars and like you said on Alfa Tauris from the 2026 season. Which basically means Max has a good chance of being a five-time world champion before he starts playing with Detroit Red Wings. I think our livery, you know, has been pretty similar for a couple of years now, but I actually, you know, always find it a cool looking car. It really shows you, you know, the Red Bull colors all over the place. And, um, you know, it, we have had a lot of success like that. So why do we need to change it up a lot? Of course, we have a few more partners on, on the car, a few new partners as well. And that's where it's all about. The Boomerang Honey Badger is also back at Red Bull and was at the press conference in Manhattan. He will be doing quite a bit of promotion work for Red Bull this year, which will include a trip to Nashville, Tennessee and the Windy City. I'll be there uh, in a couple of weeks getting getting ready for the season and a lot of sim work. I mean, that'll be a lot of, uh, let's say, my work and my contribution and uh, let the boys take the track stuff and, and I'll be working uh, yeah, behind the scenes and again, try to just develop the car, help understand the direction also that the Checo and Max want to take it and uh, yeah, try and lend some of my experience as well to, to the track and, and the engineers. Ford paid millions of dollars to buy a Stewart racing team and named it Jaguar. Like Toyota, they ran their F1 program from corporate headquarters thousands of miles away. Not surprisingly, results were pretty much the same, resulting in Ford selling the team in 2004 to Red Bull for $1 plus tax. Not sure if this is true, Mr. Rogers, but a story is told, which I've often heard, that when Ford owned Jaguar, one of the executives in Detroit had asked in a board meeting, who is this Edmund Irvine we're paying millions of dollars a year to? Moving on, and speaking of power plants, we have a case of 6 in 26. FIA has confirmed there will be 6 engine suppliers in 2026, and IndyCar is having a hard time getting a third one, and these 6 are... Alpine, Audi, Ferrari, Ford, Honda, and Mercedes. Where do you think Honda will end, Mr. Rogers? That's a tough, tough question, but obviously they've proven themselves and they've won championships, Nasser. The only thing they need is a bus. And there hasn't been a bus. So I don't know, but there's some, if you remember history, you learn, you, you try not to repeat it. So I'm hoping that Honda has success all the way to the end, reaching 2026. Because if they don't, oh my God, you know what I'm talking about. It gets ugly down there in the pits. Well, they have signed up for the 2026 regulations. So I think, let's see what happens with McLaren. Let's see what happens with Williams. And uh, I will be. Very, I hope they don't do this, but I will be very surprised if they lodge an entry to come in as a manufacturer, as a factory, full-blown factory effort, which I don't think 
they need to do that and spend all that money. But time will tell uh, what they will do. But uh, this is uh, fantastic news uh, for motor racing, for racing fans in America. And uh, FIA has now officially opened the process to bring in new teams. And I hope uh, Michael already gets his uh, Caddyshack program in. And that will be even more uh, good news for American racing fans. This is looking very, very good for Liberty Media in the long haul. And speaking of Liberty Media, we come to Forbes and F1. According to the business publication, F1 owner Liberty Media is the most valuable sports empire. That's pretty impressive. Forbes estimates F1 is actually worth about $17.1 billion based on lucrative new television deals that were signed last year. The total commercial value of Liberty Media which, by the way, also includes a small stake in Meyer Shank IndyCar team, this is the team Helio Castro Neves drives for, is about $20.8 billion, according to Forbes. Now, this is the figure that is giving FIA President Mohammed bin Sulayem some serious Arabian heat. But according to Scuderia Ferrari, this will calm down once the racing starts. And just for information purposes, Liberty Media's F1 stock symbol is FWONK and is listed on NASDAQ. This is, like I said, just for information and not a recommendation. F1 Weekly is not turning into a stock brokerage house. Thank you, Payne Weber. What say you on these impressive dollar numbers for uh, Liberty Media and Formula One valuation? I think they're accurate when you look at the scheme of the whole thing. I mean, it's a global, global empire, unlike the NFL that really sustains on just the Americas and our environs of fans, like in the UK and what have you. So very impressive. But hey, I mean, look at just one NFL team like the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they're worth probably over a billion and they just hang out in Dallas. So not surprised at all. These are today's numbers for, for today's domination all across the nation. Yeah, very good. And, uh, you know, with this budget cap and reducing the, all the technical gizmos that are on these engines, I think the Formula One is becoming very, very attractive to uh, manufacturers. And I'll be extremely happy if uh, either Toyota or BMW come back into Formula One racing because I have wonderful memories of BMW uh, bringing turbo engines with Brabham in the early 80s, and they had specific engines <laughs> producing over 1,200 horsepower from a four-cylinder engine blowing up right and left uh, with Nelson Piquet. Those were the good days, and they ended up winning, making him the first turbo-powered champion. So the future is very bright for Formula One. And one more request, please. Some more sound. You agree on that, amigo? I do agree on that. I was almost ex expecting you to mention, well, why don't we bring back Matra, Peugeot, Gordini? Well, speaking of Peugeot, brings us to the recently departed, and this was very sad news about Jean-Pierre Jabouille, the man who gave Renault and Turbo Engine first Grand Prix success in Formula One, passed away at the age of 80. Now, this is interesting about him. They say no one remembers who finished second. But in the case of his winning his first race, uh, everyone remembers who finished second and even third because his first victory was in our favorite, one of our favorites, the 1979 French Grand Prix at Dijon Prenois. This is incredible. This is the 79th lap in this 80-lap historic French Grand Prix, the oldest Grand Prix of them all. This is the 65th Grand Prix, and there has never been a more exciting battle for a major position than this one with such French interest. Jabouille still ahead. And he's closed right up on Villeneuve, and he's going to try again. They're coming into the start of the last lap behind Jochen Maas in the A2 Arrows. And Arnoux does it, does he? And Villeneuve locked up. And Villeneuve has had to go wide, and Arnoux's on the inside as they go round Villeroy. He's got the shorter line, he's got second position. He's got second position, he's through, they bang wheels. He's off, he's off, 
and he's back again. René Arnoux off the circuit and back again and he's and now Villeneuve's in second position and this is the last lap and Villeneuve goes over the corrugations and he nearly loses the front as they go up to Parabolique on the 80th and last lap and he's back, he's in second position Villeneuve is second in the Ferrari down to third position goes Arnoux to La Bretel, 80th 80th lap in this 80 lap race and there's less than a third of it to go. Now, can Arnu on the tremendously fast La Combe Courbe de Pouar section, 150 miles an hour, get past? They go past Jochen Mars and Jabouy wins. Jean-Pierre Jabouy has won in the Renault. His second and final decree came at the uh, old Oosterreichring, uh, the 1980 Austrian Grand Prix. Jabouy also raced in uh, Formula 2 and at Le Mans. Interestingly, his wife is, actually I should say his ex-wife's sister was married to Jacques Lafitte. And the current, the then Mrs. Lafitte is the current Mrs. Pross. And that's the way these things go. But uh, yeah, you know, it's very sad. And he had a distinctive red and white uh, helmet and of course played a major part. He was an engineer by trade and very good at it and played a big part um, basically sacrificed a lot of his career for the sake of uh, Renault Turbo, which I'm sure you will know when it came to Silverstone. It was the same race as Gilles Villeneuve making his debut in 1977, and the car was, because they were blowing up all the time, they were known as Yellow Teapot. So I think Jean-Pierre Jabouy made a big uh, impact in the world of Formula One racing, and he will be sadly missed. Question for you, sir. Is sadly missed the right word? Absolutely. He was loved by many people, especially engineers, as he was an engineer himself. And his feedback and the way he helped develop the car gained him a lot of respect behind the scenes in the back of the garage. And that's why he got a lot of rides and he was a hip dude. He was very popular in France. And that's just the way it is. I like the way all the wives are all mixed up. Whose wife is where. Her sister married him. That's typical French racing driver scene. Yeah, somehow it has spilled into the Russian and Dutch drivers also. As we all know, Kelly Pique was. Exactly. And her favorite album is... I don't know. Tell me. You ready? Pink Floyd's The Wall. Oh, wow. And the wall came tumbling down. Bravo. And on the other side of the moon, she she ran into Max, huh? That's how it goes. And you could hear the sound in the background fading out. There you go. Okay, sir, moving on to next item on the agenda, paint your wagon. Sir, did you watch the Williams unveiling today? You know, I skipped it because I, I did the terrible thing of watching the Red Bull one, which was so boring, went on and on and on. I have to admit, these things are not that great. And I like the paint scheme, but I was I was expecting Golf, full-blown Golf GT40 kind of looks. And that's not what I got. I got something very modern with a little golf sticker on the front and a little golf sticker on the back. Yeah, and I was so thrilled to see uh, uh, Jamie Chadwick being interviewed and expressing her concerns uh, how she will get into Formula One. But, you know, if you think uh, Red Bull launch was boring because they had too much going on there, this was even worse. Despite being hosted by Will Buxton, who's a funny guy, and I like his work very much, and there was just a little bit of a sh- uh, unveiling of the car and not much. So, But, you know, modern times and... They have to make everybody happy, even if they don't talk much about motor racing, but we have to deal with But anyway, Haas also unveiled their livery earlier, probably showing their new sponsor, MoneyGram. MoneyGram. Uh, team owner's name is on the side pods, which reminds me of Henry Ford II's famous saying, my name is on the building. I guess that's what Gene Haas is probably saying to Gunter Steiner. The paint scheme for uh, Haas is professionally done. It's not an iconic livery like you just mentioned, Golf, Martini, or JPS. The team will race this year with Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen. 
The in the intra-team rivalry will be as exciting as the intra-team rivalry at Alpine. I will be very surprised if both of these teams can go three races without teammates running into each other and that's when we will see how the situation is handled. New motivation for Jean Alessi, the one-hit wonder from Canadian Grand Prix, has been appointed new director at Paul Rica Circuit located in the south of France near Marseille. He is very happy because at this, it was at this track he made his Grand Prix debut in 1989 with Tyrrell, Ken Tyrrell's operation, of course. Outstanding. I'm hoping the French Grand Prix comes back. I was reading that Jean Lacy, not that excited with les politiques français. So it happens, but in France, it's, it's always politics when it comes to Formula One. And that's always going to be a problem. And we have two French drivers on the grid, and it doesn't help at all in France. They don't care about stuff like that. So that's going to be interesting. Anyway, on that note, and we'll be back. Honesty is something we all look for, especially when it comes to auto service. Honest Engines Auto Service Tallahassee is where you'll find it. Since 2005, they've been delivering trusted, dependable service to Florida's capital. Honest Engines is your full-service auto repair center. Bumper to bumper, they have you covered. Honest Engines Auto Repair offers a variety of services, transmission repair, oil change service, and much, much more. Don't let just anyone work on your car. Bring it to Honest Engines. They'll give your baby the care it deserves. They work closely with you to make sure you know what's being done. With Honest Engines, you don't have to guess what their team is doing. Their highly experienced and certified technicians know just what your car needs, and they'll make sure you do too. So if you're in the Tallahassee area and you need auto repairs, Give Honest Engines a call, 850-421-8461, and tell them F1Weekly.com sent you. Honest Engines Auto Repair, right on the corner, right on the price, 718 Gay Street, Tallahassee. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the Swami himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, sir. And we will go back to Daytona, the media room, that is. And first of all, I would like to thank Neil Ferhagen for his time and also to Mr. Bill Cobb of BMW Motorsports for arranging this interview. And I've been following Neil's uh, career for a few years, and this is an extended interview, so I don't want to talk much about him. I would let him explain his story. But he was very impressive in junior uh, racing here in the United States. And as a very young uh, teenager, he was picked up by Red Bull and is now with uh, BMW and racing uh, BMW cars both in Europe and also here in the United States. So it was very nice to meet him. And hopefully uh, next time I'm in Munich, uh, we will uh, get together and have, have some St. Pauli beer. So again, uh, thanks to Neil and Bill Cobb. And I hope our listeners enjoy this conversation. Okay, folks, I'm with the young American talent, Mr. Neil Verhagen. Neil, good to meet you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Uh, here in Daytona right now, it's a bit wet at the moment right now, but we've enjoyed some sunshine for the past couple of days. So, yeah, I think next week should be sunny again. So, looking forward to coming back here next week and attacking the uh, Rolex 24. What it's like uh, on the banking when it's wet? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously... Tricky because you know the normally it's so easy flat and you don't have to think about it because there's so much grip in the banking. For for us today, it was still flat, so but it definitely is not as comfortable as when it is dry. You know you don't want to to lose the car as as the wall is right there. In general, it, it just makes the the track come alive a lot more. I love driving in the wet. The wet is is very fun and I personally enjoy. Uh, so I've had a blast. That's good. Now, in your karting days, you race against Logan Sargent and Pat Ward. Please give us a little background on your karting career. Yes, yeah, so I did uh, karting with my family. We took our trailer, little trailer, my mom, my dad, and my brother, and we would uh, we would trailer around the United States. 
Uh, we would go to all the big races and, and races just a family team. Uh, as you said, I, I grew up racing with uh, Patricio and, and Logan. And, uh, yeah, to grow up and, and race with those guys and to see what they're achieving now and, and their success. And I'm actually quite good friends with Logan still to, to today. So, yeah, it's awesome to see what, what they've achieved. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that from the from the karting grid that I've seen now move up into professional racing and to see all of us from which would have been, you know, your karting friend faces now in, in professional motorsports is, is actually really cool, and I think it's quite inspiring as well. Now, you're originally from Connecticut. Exactly, yeah. And then your family moved to uh, North Carolina to help you in racing? Exactly, yeah. So at a young age, uh, when I was in karting, my family had made uh, a big commitment then to, to move to North Carolina to be closer to the car track that I was uh, at the time racing. The team was based out of that car track, so to work closer with the team and to, to get more track time. We had we had made the commitment to move down to, to North Carolina. And, uh, and yeah, then I was spending a lot of time on the car track with the team, helping uh, the team, also learning myself, uh, sharpening my tools. I don't think, I can't remember exactly how many years I spent there karting, but I remember that I, I then jumped to cars quite soon then. I, I think I remember, like, it being... 13 or 14 years old when I did my first car race, so I can't uh, say that I spent too much time in, in North Carolina because then shortly after I, I moved uh, to Europe then, which I've spent the last seven years now in, in Europe. Uh, where are you based in Europe? At the moment right now, I'm in Munich, Germany. I've For, been there a few times. Yeah. <laughs> and have you seen the BMW Museum? Yes, I've seen the BMW Museum, yes. So when I first got introduced to the BMW Junior Team back in 2019, then I had the pleasure then to go through the the BMW Museum, the BMW World, uh, also BMW Motorsport, and, and check out all the the history of BMW uh, in the city of Munich. Also, the the production plant for the for the road vehicles that BMW produces there. Got a, a tour through the facility there too. So a lot of day, or I got a lot of uh, BMW in the day that I was there, and it was very cool to see. Yeah, for for me, the having the history of, of BMW and, and seeing it all in, in one museum is is very very cool. Also, uh, we visited the BMW Classic Car as well too to see all the not only just classic road cars but classic race cars that are also in there and and that was really cool that was one of the highlights of the day sprechen sie deutsch unfortunately not uh not enough to to keep up a conversation i i can understand a bit but unfortunately it's uh not good enough for me to have a conversation i understand okay your single seater career started in skip barber winter series i understand you won the first three races were you surprised success came so easy yeah, I think, you know, going from go-karts to, to cars, you, you never really know kind of how the transition is going to go. I didn't have any real testing before. I had done a couple of days with the Skip Barber, uh, and then when the opportunity came to do the race, you know, I just kind of took it with an open mind and just wanted to see actually how it was uh, all going to go. By my surprise, it went very well, actually. As as you said, winning the first three races was uh, was a great start, and yeah, I think then that really uh, was an eye opener to me that this is something that I can, can that I can pursue, and uh, I think also for my parents as well too. Then they were very supportive of me and, and helping a lot then to to push me through my career. Now, in 2016, and that's when I got to you know hear about you first time. You won the Formula 1600 Championship. What were the high points of the season for you? And if there were any low points, you can mention those also. It's a long time ago now. Yeah, that was uh, that was my my first like let's say breakthrough year where I where I could fully show my potential and success. Uh, and uh, with Cahill Motorsports that year, definitely uh, let's see. I mean, there was there was a lot of high points there. I would say probably low points were were qualifying. My qualifying was never so good, but I always managed then to 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 race my way back up to the front to to be able to make some some great overtakes. I remember uh, some very close races to the finish. I remember Pittsburgh was really close on on the finish line. I actually remember a race as well too. I had trouble starting the car in in New Jersey. I had to start from from the pit lane. And I fought from the pit lane back and won the race in New Jersey as well too. And as well, I I think I remember it was my it was the first race weekend of the series, and we went to Road Atlanta, and I was able to get a win in my first weekend as well too. That was that was awesome as 
my first two wins uh, had came from Skip Barber at Road Atlanta as well, too. So I continued then uh, some good success in Road Atlanta, which I, I really like the track there. It uh, I seem to, to always do quite good around there. So I would say that's one of my, my favorite tracks. So there was there was a lot of uh, of high moments uh, working with uh, Tony's as well, too, as my engineer. He was, was a great guy. He helped me learn so much um, and really progressed myself. And, yeah, I mean the whole season with the formula fords were just so much fun to race you know they're they don't have the wings so there's no arrow wash everything is so close and it's all about uh overtaking and strategy and and where to place yourself on the last laps and in the beginning of the season you know it was it was difficult to kind of understand where i where i needed to put the car but i think around more or less just before halfway to the halfway season then I kind of figured out exactly what the game is that I needed to play, and and that's when it really started to pick up for me, and my racecraft developed so much, and I was able then to to put myself in the right positions at the right times, then to to make the most out of out of uh, the opportunities that were presented in front of me at the end of the race, and and then uh, and then yeah, then I, I if I'm not mistaken, I think I set the record as well of wins in the season there, and I don't know if that's been broken. I haven't really followed too much. I, I could still have it, or maybe it's been broken. I, I don't know, but it was uh, it was definitely definitely a good season. I remember you did win a lot of races. Now in 2017, you crossed the pond on the wings of Red Bull and raced in Formula Renault Euro Cup. What was your first impression of the depth of competition in Europe? Yeah, first, I mean, never been racing in Europe before. That was my, my first time going over there. And, and I remember my, my first test that I that I did. I mean, the just the nature of the circuit and the, let's say, just standard procedure of, of how everything works in Europe is, is so different than than uh, than how it worked in America. It, it was eye-opening to me on, on how it worked and it took a again some transition time to uh to get used to this uh but with mp motorsports and and my teammates at the time we we were all working and, and testing together and, and trying to get faster and it was difficult for sure i mean the competition over there is is strong those years in formula Renault were were some of I think one of the toughest years of, of grids in, in the Formula Renault competition, and I've learned so much from that. I, I can thank uh, the Formula Renault and, and Red Bull for the opportunity to help me learn as a, as a driver. That helped me learn in every aspect, and, and that's carried over even till today. And I think if, if you look at you know on a graph of, of where my driver level went, and before I went to Renault and after I left Renault, the driver that I was and then I was after was was completely different just being in that sort of competition where you're fighting for not even tense like thousands of a second to be in in such a tight grid and and every little thing matters you know when you when you take that all into account and and you spend two years in an environment like that it really um it really does develop you and and i had to fight very hard for it um unfortunately the two years didn't go exactly how, how I would have planned or how I would have, have wanted. I um, I have to admit, I would say that in my in my first year, had never raced with with a winged car before. Going in to do my first season with with Formula Renault was uh, was challenging. I I definitely uh, wasn't let's say the best prepared. And then unfortunately, things just didn't go well in the second season. I still today can't tell you why exactly that that happened. Felt super confident after the first season and, and the end of the season test was was very fast. Uh, everything looked to go very well, and and then as soon as we got to to the first round, some things had changed as well too in the background, and I guess it made a bigger effect than than we were expecting. So um, yeah, I mean at the end of the day, I mean I can only thank Red Bull again for the opportunity that they that presented me because it brought me over to Europe. It showed me this side of of racing uh as i said it definitely progressed me as a driver as well too i would have loved to to continue on on that program as as that's uh, such a prestigious program like red bull had nevertheless can't thank those guys enough and uh and for everything that they supported me oh, that's good now in your second year of formula renault euro cup you were with a french team right tech something tech one yeah tech one Simon Abadi. Uh, believe it or not, I saw you race in Po. I went to the Po Grand Prix uh, one year, and you were racing there. Uh, what is your impression of that street circuit, which has a history as rich as the Monaco Grand Prix? And do you like street races? Yeah, I'm a fan of the, the street races. I remember um, second year in Po, it was raining, on, and qualifying was was just transitioning from wets to slicks and just if for anybody that doesn't know Poe, Poe is by far one of the most technical, most difficult 
racing circuits there is in the world. It is so tight in the walls are tight, but there's the the street curving as well too that makes the circuit even tighter and the curb is before the wall. So the street is almost just big enough to fit a car and in some areas it's almost too difficult to get just even one car through there and that circuit is you need to be so precise the entire race and and the conditions were were terrible there for the second year that I was there. I remember that we we started on the on the on the rain tires and about halfway through the the qualifying session I remember that you know there was the the opportunity it was yeah we we can stay on the rain tires and and play it safe or do you want to take the the slicks and and give it a go and and uh me being the risk taker that I am I said uh yeah let's take the the slick tires and and I just remember going out there and the first two three laps I was like my god I have made the worst call in my life I I almost said that we need to to box and and, and to change the tires again because I had no grip and I was just so slow and then the sun came out and I was like okay well we'll give it another lap and then the dry line started to form and from the dry line forming the pace started to pick up and and pick up and if I remember correctly then I qualified third that year in a in a damp qualifying then and the slicks had just switched on and it was the last lap and I needed to make sure and half the track was slick but the other half was dry and and I needed to make sure that I that I had the dry part correct and make no mistakes in, in the wet part. And then yeah, then then I think it rained again for the for the race. And I think midway through the race, I I just made a little mistake. I I touched the um, into into the last sector, the the hairpin. I broke on the uh, on the painted line from the street. The that divides uh, uh, traffic going one way and the other way, and I I broke on it and I I lost control of the the car and I and I barely touched the 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 rear wing into the wall, but I was able to to keep going. But I lost the position. I think I ended up finishing fifth. I think after that. So, but yeah, no, it was the the, the track. I mean, it, it puts a smile on my face. I'm talking about it now. I'm remembering the track. It's it's it was so so technical. It was so difficult, and the the conditions that were presented there were were nothing that I've had before. The, the level of concentration that was needed there, it made Monaco feel easy the next weekend. Dry Monaco, Monaco is a bit wider as well too. It's smooth. Uh, yeah, I forgot to mention, Poe is very bumpy. It's, you know, not a very smooth track. You gotta take risks on the curbs and the walls there where, where Monaco's just a bit more flowing. So I think that was also great to go before. Both years that I did Renault, Poe was before Monaco, like the weekend before. And it just helped make Monaco go a bit smoother. So, yeah, no, I'm. That was. Uh, those were some cool weekends. Yeah. So basically, you did a Nigel Mansell. He once lost the Monaco Grand Prix, and he blamed it on the white line in the rain. Yeah, so. no, I. I wouldn't say uh, that I blamed the white line, but I, I made the mistake to uh, to use the the break or to break on on the white line, and and I lost the the rear, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah, no, that that was all part of the the learning curve, and and yeah, no, without uh, making those mistakes, then then you don't learn from it. But uh, yeah, no, that was. I remember that race very, very clear. Actually, I, th- I remember in the beginning as well too. I had, I had a good battle with uh, with Logan Sargent as well too in the beginning of that race. He was he started fourth and he had uh, he made a good maneuver on me into, into turn one that that we still joke about today as as we're friends and and uh, yeah that was that was a good maneuver and every once in a while he'll send me the onboard and he'll be like ah I got you there and it's it's always funny but uh, but yeah no that was. Yeah, I guess as you said, yeah, the Nigel Mansell with the white line. So, <laughs> okay, now when you were with Tech One, do you remember a gentleman working there by the name of Olivier Menu? Yeah, he was the team manager at the time. Yeah. Yeah, he's an old friend of mine. Oh yeah. Yeah, small world, huh? Yeah, it's very small world. Yes, yeah. and I was getting inside scoop on you. I'm happy to say it was positive. Oh yeah. Seriously, yes. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, again, I can't thank uh, the guys from Tech One enough for for all the work that they had done as well too during the season. Unfortunately, it didn't work out in, in the way that any of us had uh, had expected or planned for it to to have worked out. I, as I said before, I, I still I I don't really know why I I take as much blame on myself as as anything. But but yeah, no, I after having such a strong preseason before going in. I was so confident going in and, and just couldn't deliver on that. So, unfortunately, that is ultimately what ended my my two-year relationship with Red Bull as well, too, as uh, as as fair enough from Red Bull when, when they are supporting and, and they are, uh, 
yeah, making the demands, then if you don't meet the the requirement, then I'm all for that. That it's that yeah, that the change needed to be made. Then I was expecting that at the end of the second season as well too. Obviously, it was not uh, not what I wanted to hear, not what I wanted to to see. I, I still felt that I had some some potential that uh, that I wasn't able to display in the second year. But uh, but that is that's life. That's racing, and you know I can uh, as I said, it's it opened up the opportunity for me now to be here with with BMW and. I'm absolutely thrilled to to be here with BMW. It's it's been amazing to work with BMW so far and since making the the turn to sports cars I've never wanted to to look back and and do anything else. The the sports car is is where I love being right now. The the racing's fun it's close it's extremely challenging and also i i think to be fair i would have to say that the the sports car world at the moment right now i think is is maybe one of the most challenging series in the world especially the gt world challenge endurance and and europe i i mean this is i've never seen so many cars within a second it's it's unbelievable i i I think I remember with uh, with uh, with Barcelona, the last qualifying, like one second, one and a half seconds was like thirty five cars, forty cars, like yeah. almost the whole grid. It's it's incredible. So yeah, no, that this is this has been great. Running with the Norse Life, running with Daytona, running with uh, with Spa and uh, and all the the GT World Challenge races. This has been been amazing to work with the BMW teams as well too. There's great people inside BMW that are that are very nice to work with and and yeah hopefully i can uh can continue to work for for a long time with bmw and and have some some great success with them now i want to ask you a question formula 1600 obviously motor racing in america is not as popular as nba and nfl Mm -hmm. how did the red bull deal happen uh did you reach out to them or they uh, reach out to you so actually i would uh I think the F sixteen hundred had obviously something to do with it, with with the success that I that I had in the F sixteen hundreds, with with the youngest runoff winner and and being uh, and having so many wins in, inside the championship and winning the championship in two thousand sixteen, and I believe that it was also down to. I was selected to the Team USA scholarship to go and, and race in, in Europe, but at the time I was only 15, and you need to be 16 to race. I don't think that it was caught immediately. I was selected for the program. I, you know, I was given the invitation. I was ready to go. It was at Mid Ohio was was where we were going during the IndyCar race, and uh, and then they I got a call from Jeremy Shaw, and he said, uh, "We're so sorry, but we we missed, but." you know you're not old enough to to compete and i was bummed out obviously because i felt like that was going to be my opportunity to go to to europe and and then um but anyway i still went to to the to the uh to the shootout to speak with the judges and just you know to present myself in front of everybody to to meet everybody and to meet jeremy himself and and then uh a week week later then uh jeremy called he said um you know, I, I don't know how how much truth there is to this, but maybe you can expect a call from from Red Bull. They've uh, showed some interest in in you to me, and and I've spoke very highly of you to them. And so I would have to say that uh, that Jeremy Shaw he's uh, been in both sides of actually Red Bull and BMW, been a great help. Uh, sticking his neck out putting out a good word for me um so i have to give a lot of thank you to to him for for everything that he's presented uh, opportunity wise for me and yeah no that was i would believe i mean i don't really know exactly how it all went down i don't know how the scouting process went down but i know that he was the first one to to contact me about it and it happened and he was in the loop with everything as well too so i would say that uh that i guess is how that all came together now, uh, each year when you were with Red Bull at the beginning of the season, did they give you some goals that okay, you have to finish so much so in the championship or win minimum of, of races? Because that program is very ruthless. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the the program is. I mean, people call it ruthless. I think it's it's fair. You know, they they stick their neck out. They give you the opportunity. Yes. And I think that it's it's fair that they demand results. Uh, I think you know there's you know there's a lot of uh, good drivers that have been in the in the program that unfortunately it hasn't worked out for for them. But I think uh, everybody can agree that the when presented the opportunity, it's it's fair how how they treat uh, the F1 world itself is is not easy. It's a very ruthless sport itself, and I think that just trains for it as well too. I think obviously at the moment sometimes are are very nice other times are are not so nice and but in general i think the the program itself has uh it it means a lot more i think to to also be in in the red bull junior than if you're in another program that you know everything is always so nice and you're finishing 
in the mid-pack, then it's still okay because, you know, it's, it's not for the Formula One. You know, you need to, everything needs to be perfect. You know, that's the, the pinnacle where the, let's say, the, the top drivers are, are there. And, and they with Red Bull, I think they have proved that they have the, the best junior team program in, in Formula One, especially um, with pulling young talent up through, uh, especially in the past years. I think now maybe a couple of more teams have, have dipped into their junior team. But I think if you look in the past 15 years, there was only one team pulling Red Bull Juniors or Formula One Juniors, and that that was Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, at, at the time, yeah, it could be, let's say, ruthless, but I always thought that, or sorry, to answer your question as well, to know there was there was never like a, like a demand that you need to finish here you need to to achieve this it was you know i think it was just it was just one of those things that you know they they wanted to to see the the progression and my first year that i that i had done the the Renault euro cup i you know i didn't finish up front i finished uh in just around the top 10 i believe and uh but i since i had progressed so much from the beginning of the year to the end of the year and the results were were getting better and you know everything was starting to click and you know they could see that the the speed was coming up and you know the working on the simulator with them as well too and, and everything was going was going very well there that obviously then gave me my opportunity to to finish uh or to to, to start my second year uh at the time i had red bull teammate richard Rashore and the same team as me and he had finished one position ahead of me in the championship but uh we continued with with myself and and Richard. Uh, unfortunately, was that was his last year. And uh, I think if you looked in the beginning of the year, then maybe it was maybe it was more that they would take Richard over me. But with how much I progressed over the first year, and and then unfortunately for the second year, as I said, then where I expected to be, and I think where Red Bull expected me to be, was was not then was not uh, reciprocated on on the level. Um, I feel that the the work that I did in, inside Red Bull was was still good, and and that uh, that that was that that was sufficient. But the unfortunately the results didn't uh, didn't uh, correlate on, on on track. So yeah, I, I I don't really have so much more to to say about it. I mean, it's yeah, you move on. Okay, important question: When they take a young talent to drive, or very young like yourself. Mm-hmm. Do they give the driver a choice of series, or is just do what you were told? For me, it was it was told that this is where we want you to to drive. This is uh, also the team that we want you to drive with. And and for me, I think coming from America, not having any experience in, in Europe, that was almost a little bit better for me. I, I don't have any management, uh, you know, that I, I didn't have any guidance from from anybody over in Europe directing me. And you know, obviously, then then. They took on to their own part. Maybe for for some others, maybe other people would like to go other places. But for me, I was very comfortable, and I had a lot of trust in, in Red Bull that they were going to put me in a good environment to to help me learn and, and to, to 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 make me better as a driver. So, yeah, they they had told me the series that I was running. I think maybe in hindsight, maybe it would have been better to do a year of F four before going to Formula Renault. Maybe just that one year of racing F4, getting a little bit of experience with less competitive field, less downforce would have helped me just emerge a bit smoother into the whole process. And then who could tell then what happens after the road there, you know, then then you, you never really know. But I think if I look back on that, that's that, that's the one thing is that maybe just my first year, it was it was just a little bit too much in the deep end. I was, you know, I was with so much learning the new tracks, the the way people race you, the, the how the tires work over there, how the, the race weekend works over there, the just the everything was was so different than I was so used to and and as I said, as I, I learned a lot, but but yeah, no, I, I felt like for the first half of the year, I, I definitely was not able to to express any of my potential that, that I had because I was just so overwhelmed with everything that was that was changing for me. And I think it is very difficult to go from, from America to, to Europe because of, of how different things are just naturally run over there. You know, I think you can you can see there's been some American drivers that hop just straight over to, to Europe and, and do struggle uh, immediately. And then the drivers that stay a bit longer in, in Europe and, you know, adapt to the culture and, you know, maybe do a little bit of karting there first to start learning how it is and then do the F4, then do Formula Renault, F3, you know, and then and then move up the ranks that way. Then, you know, they're adapted to the culture then. They're not really thrown so much into the deep end. But with the scenario and the situation that I was in, I didn't get that that option to, to do so. But, uh, but yeah, no, for, for Red Bull, I mean, they're, 
they're always about the maximum that you can can achieve and that was I think where they were were thinking that uh, that I would do best in and learn the best in and, and I have to say it actually did it did work I mean maybe the the results were, were not where we or where I would have liked them to be for for year one but when I left year one and and then started in the second season I had so much confidence I was I was ready to I was I was so ready for the second season so it definitely that I think the philosophy was was good there I'm glad you're happy and thankful for uh, Red Bull's help I'm assuming you have not switched to monster no 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 I I, um, I still support the the f1 team um, I've never stopped supporting them I, I always follow every weekend and you know it, it's it's a loyalty thing to me as well too they they stuck their neck out they gave me an opportunity you know unfortunately it didn't it didn't work out the the way that we had hoped for I mean you know also for them as well too then it's uh, you know it, it's not just me that lose out I mean it's also them that lose out they they had made an investment into to me as well too that obviously didn't end up working out so I have to uh, I can only be thankful for them for for the opportunity and and how they you know I was treated very nicely there as well too as as an American coming over there it's maybe a bit difficult as well too sometimes you know as as uh, as I think the let's say that the, the when American comes over to Europe to race maybe in the beginning they don't think that he's ready or that he's doesn't belong there and that uh, that was not the feeling at all inside Red Bull inside the inside the Formula One team with Dr. Marco with any of the guys with Red Bull that I was working with that you know they always showed uh, confidence and, and support and, and that was uh, yeah that was very nice to, to feel and so yeah very grateful as I said and and I still support them to today that is that's my team still that's good now you are now in the BMW junior program uh, please tell us how this came about and where would you be racing mostly this season? So after uh, after splitting with with Red Bull at the end of 2018, uh, then I had done a year of British Formula Three on my own uh, at the end of uh, 2019. Then um, I had I had a big decision to make then because I I didn't have the funding to, to continue racing in, in Europe at that time and, and frame. And at the end of 2019, my my goal would have been then to to try and pursue to to still go to to Formula One or to or to do something in the open wheel but I didn't have the funding to, to continue and so I got to a point I was you know I, I needed to, to figure out what my options were and I got a call then from Jeremy Shaw again said that that BMW was putting together uh, a new junior team that would be different than the ones they run in the past and again maybe there will be a call maybe there won't be a call but uh, and uh, it didn't take me more than a minute to to already agree in my head that if I get the call, then then I take that. You know, as 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 my heart as a racer, you know, I I'm to get the the opportunity to to race with the manufacturer is is phenomenal, and to uh, to then finally get the call, I I immediately knew that that is exactly what I did. So I said yes, I, I come take the the meeting, and then I was uh, flown to to Munich where I had uh, visited Munich and saw all the the BMW plants, and and I had met with uh, Sven Blush, Mr. Nerpash, and uh, Dirk Adolf at the end of the day. I was then given a, a verbal agreement that that would be what I would do, and I, I had accepted, and that was then a big, big point in my in my career. That uh, so then the the plan was that we we race on the the Norschleife for the first first half the year was going to be with just getting the permit and then we switched to the GT3 then to then start building experience for 2021 then to be uh, like let's say the, the the big year that we would have then where we put all the, the tests to see but then COVID hit and it messed all the timing up of the program uh, so then we started late and uh, then did the the permit for the Norschleife, we got the permit done, but then the first year of the 24 hours was then delayed until the end of the year. So actually, we were able to run the 24 hours, and we ran it in the uh, in the GT4 car. Uh, me and my two teammates, Max Hesse and Dan Harper, also part of the junior team as well. We were actually able to win in class, and that was that was very cool. And and to have Mr. Narapash and and Sven and and Dirk on on site it was really special to to share that moment with them. And you know, it was it was a it was a very big high for that season. We had we had worked very hard to to get the permit to to learn everything about the Norse life to to uh, to get to 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 get to comfortable with with such a, a big circuit and there's so many things you need to learn and, and to to look out for. And and then after 24 hours of racing with weather conditions 
changing all the time and and finally able to to cross the line to win in class was was very cool and then then finished the year off uh there because i think then covid must have picked up again i can't really remember too too well but i know that we came back next year then with team rmg with the bmw m6 for the norse life uh again and uh and then yeah that was uh so the first i think the first couple of races they were not going so well i I can't remember exactly the maybe the first race we finished eighth and i think third race i think we had an early out and then uh and then we had the two quality races if i believe correctly yeah the two quality races which were also very all right and then then we ran uh then the 24 hour came and that was the time in in the in the m6 and, and i have to say actually that was uh the first weekend where everything started to to really settle in uh with the gt3 and, and we started to get more comfortable with the, the three of us. Uh, we also had Augusto Farfus on the car with us as well, too, that was helping us uh, there, and, and it all started to, to gel and mold together. And we had gone off sequence early in the race that uh, that kind of set us back, and we, we were out of queue then of, of the race. And then just before midnight or just before halfway mark was uh, was the red flag for, for the fog that was laying down on the track. And then uh, that got us back into, into the race, back on onto the or sorry not back onto but like closer to the leader we had uh, the leader had made a big gap with how the the Norse life works with the code 120 and the code 60 zones we got a bit unlucky in a couple of those and we lost a lot of time and with the early strategy change that we made we we were sitting uh we were almost almost a lap down i think we were very close to going a lap down so we got quite lucky with the with the red flag to come out that helped us bring back all that time then we need to uh then we need to pull you off the car and uh so i just remember sitting there sitting on the grid just completely to my myself and then they were like okay we're gonna get in the cars now and then uh and then yeah then we went racing and and i remember that we were quite far back in the order and i think we only had like uh three or four hours left to go in the race there wasn't so much left to go in the race and we were like 17th or 18th or something and at the time and and uh and i made up some positions and and then uh and then just in the last hour we were just battling in, inside the the top five and uh augusto was in the car and and within the last hour of the race um there was a, a failure on on the on the fuel pump and we lost the the driver of the car and, and then unfortunately another driver had hit the back of augusto then because there was not not so much space to go and i don't think he realized that augusto had the issue and and uh so that took us out of the race and yeah that was uh that was unfortunate i mean that was uh uh yeah not so nice end to uh to the first 24 after doing so much and going through so much and finally getting back into it at the end i mean i think podium was off the table it wasn't possible but uh but just to be able to fight inside the top five was was uh, was special, and unfortunately it didn't work. But but then after the the twenty four hours is when things started to click. Then we then we went off and we we won two races back to back. Then NLS four and NLS five, I believe. We had a crash in qualifying that took us out. Or was that NLS seven? Maybe NLS seven that was, or maybe it was five and six we won, and then seven we had the crash. Eight we finished, I think second or third, and then NLS nine we were battling for the championship, and unfortunately then a slower car went off and as it was rejoining the track it was out of control and my teammate had, had nowhere to go and it hit into him and uh, unfortunately that that ended the the championship and we finished uh, p2 at the end of the year and the championship there but uh but yeah no that was that was actually quite a that was a fun year i have to say how is mr Jochen nirpash doing these days you know i remember him from his racing days yeah no uh, mr nirpash is, is great with all the support that he's given to uh to the junior team to to give all of his attention all of his effort and and to put so much into it without him it definitely would have not been as successful as it did and 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 to be a factory driver now i i can only thank him sven and, and dirk for for everything that they had put into it to uh to help me max and dan uh, achieve our, our dream of, of becoming a professional uh, factory racing driver for manufacturer and but yeah mr nirpashi attended every race there was not there was not one race where he was not present to uh, that was his that was his project this was you know, I would think almost considered it was his kid for for him. You know, he, he was he was there. He wanted to know everything. He always had the headset on during the 24 hour race. All three years that we did at Nurburgring, uh, he was in the head or in the the box. The whole race he didn't go back to the hotel didn't go to sleep he was in the box and and when he went to sleep then it was in the chair to make sure that he was always uh you know 
understanding what was going on on track and you know to to see somebody that has so much history inside motorsport with so much success with with prior junior teams and with drink, bringing young drivers up and, and making them into into such established racing drivers i mean the 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 rolodex of of drivers that he's worked with to, to help i mean just one off the top michael schumacher i mean you know to to have to have to work with with mr nerpash who has so much knowledge about the the sport it was definitely very beneficial and and yeah that at the at the end of the day then he was always there to, to support uh, but also yeah he was he was uh, you know also letting us know especially this year uh, for this season that you know the results are are obviously something that we need to uh, to make sure that we that we do well in if we can deliver well in the results then we then we can make a much better case that uh, that we should move you guys from the junior team then to the to the factory works drivers and uh, and yeah no he definitely was was pushing always a hundred percent for us so he's He's uh, an amazing guy. He's, as I said, got so much knowledge. He knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's just got a, a great art for creating very successful junior teams. So, for example, back when the original juniors were, were um, with Cheever, Sur, and, and Winkelhawk were, were racing, I mean, they, they all became professional racing drivers. They were all super successful themselves. So he's got, he can say to himself that he's probably the king of, of running successful junior teams. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Neil, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Thank you for listening. Good night. Bye-bye.